Cloverbank, welcome again to the Good Trash Genrecast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss, but this week we're going to discuss the films everybody's talking about. Okay. You almost lost me for a second. Sorry. Um, he's When he goes in rapid fire like that, he, uh, he he throws me. I'm not sure if he's getting all the words right, honestly. He's hitting all those bars, though, so he's got to get it in. I, he's doing it. Um, so it's 2018 in review today. We yeah, are we, talking we the best take, of. We take a little bit longer than your other favorite movie podcasts because we don't get paid to do this. And we're in landlocked Oklahoma where things don't always get here in time. Yeah, Exactly. And streaming services, you know, there's a thing. And finding things that way via and rather than via the theater because, you know, it never shows up sometimes. Look, there's nothing out in the month of January. We give ourselves an, an extra 13th month to catch up. That's right. And so here we are doing that thing uh, for you all to give you a uh, viewing catch-up list as you're preparing for Oscar and all that kind of stuff and uh, what deserves Best Picture. And uh, it is my submission that the Oscars never are rewarding the Best Pictures of the year. And uh, They're, generally speaking, rewarding the most picture. The most the picture. The, yeah, it is the most pictures. Yeah. Uh, most acting, most effects, most writing, and so on and so forth. It's, yes, uh, the most written movie of the year. Yeah. Much costuming. <laughs> yeah. How, how much costuming? <laughs> the award for big sounds go to. Uh, the, the word 2018 the, Oscars hosted by Doge. Yes. <laughs> the award for most stitching goes to, right, for costumes. So, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to do that because... We have better taste in the Academy. We do. We win in all the things. And, uh, yeah, we, we like talking about the movies we watched, so somebody knows about it. It's just a fun way to get into 2019. But we also realize that your commute is of limited time, and therefore we are going to be considerate. We will only be spending a considerable length describing our love of our top five films, but we will go quickly in rapid fire. Oh, I guess we should tell people who we are. Should I'm, we? I, I, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And so we are still talking about the movies um, in 2018. It's been, gosh, seven years, eight years. What is it? 27 years. Since what? Since we started doing years in review. Oh, since we did years in review. Uh, Five or six years? I think we started. uh, Is this the sixth time we've done this? At least, I would say. We didn't do one in 2012. But we did. Did Did we we do one in 2013? We definitely did one in 24, 2013. I don't remember. We definitely did one for 2013. I think we might have done one for 2013. So this may be the sixth one. Yeah, we. It's it's just a tradition of ours. Sometimes it used to be packaged with another, uh, you know, a full length film analysis, and uh, we just decided to give this thing room to breathe. I think it was a game the first time we ever did. Yeah, we did a uh, a year a film released in that that preceding year. Was it Lockout? Was that the first one? I think one? it might have been. I think I, it was Lockout. That's right. We talked about Lockout and said this is a 2012 movie, so we'll do our top five yeah. of 2012. And uh, slowly but surely, we've allowed this to become its own episode. And it's nicer that way. Yeah, you don't that feel That take rushed. away from the movie, and then we don't really have to prepare. So it's a nice record. Exactly. It doesn't take... I think that's that says it perfectly, Arthur. It uh, kind of railroads the our analysis, because we just have so much fun talking about... Uh, the year in review. You should see. Uh, and that sometimes we have seen together and that we can gush and love together about or disagree. Or we can talk about a movie that um, the other two of our co-hosts have not seen and then suggest them to them and to our dear listeners. But um, in order to give that time reprieve that I was referring to just a few moments ago, um, what we'll do is a rapid fire uh, 10 through Six mm-hmm. and then as like counting's hard, uh, and then we'll after that we'll talk about the superlatives of the year, sort of the trashy awards, if you will, uh, for what we think are good award categories, and those will be our superlatives, and then we'll move into top fives individually, one 
what individually as in number five and number four, not individually as in each of us give our top five. Thank um, you for clarifying. Um, you'll you'll listen and you'll hear what happens, and so you probably don't need to be that prepared. But in case you did, that's what's happening. So be uh, as prepared as you want to be. Um, without any further ado, Arthur, rapidly fire away ten through six of your best films of twenty eighteen. All right, I will now that my phone is working with me. Uh, starting with number 10, I'm going to say The Comedy Gym Game Night. Mm-hmm. Number 9, Vox Lux. At number 8, Ooh. Hereditary. Okay. At number 7, the uh, revenge action fi- uh, horror film, Revenge. Uh, and at number 6, Thoroughbreds. Interesting. I was curious uh, where some of those films that I knew you liked were going to end up on your list. Thoroughbreds yeah. is one I really wanted to get to. It's a lot of fun. I very much thought it might end up on my list. It's nice and quirky. Thoroughbreds was in my top five for the better part of the year, and uh, it's ended up in the in the back half, yeah. closer to 20. But yeah. uh, I like where we're starting with, with you, Arthur. Very, very good. Okay, Dalton, in rapid succession, let's hear uh, 10 through 6. All right, first up, we've got Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight, If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, next, a film that I just don't think got enough love, Bad Times at the El Royale, way better than it got credit for. Uh, speaking of films nobody saw and they definitely should have checked out, uh, Blind Spotting, starring Tay Diggs and Raphael Cassell. Uh, man, whew, what, a, what a year for films about race. Uh, that won't be the last time we talk about that this episode. Number seven, the nicest film ever made, Paddington 2. You're welcome, Keith and Smith. <laughs> After much, much... Uh, shit uh from keith and i finally caught up with paddington and ended up watching it twice in the course of a month it's that good and finally another very very sweet film leave no trace um the uh, oh my gosh i forget the director's name but it was uh the follow-up uh deborah granick there we go uh her follow-up to winter's bone from uh, a few years back uh man leave no trace is a good one so that is my 10 through 6. Dustin, what about you, bud? My 10 through 6 also includes Blind Spotting coming in at number 10. I oh, liked you... it very, very yes, much. You yes, you finally watched it. And it was uh, and I will simply say this. There is a conceit in the film in which these guys are freestyle rapping all the time. And then there is a and it's very rough and it's very weird. It doesn't quite work most of the time, but there is a speech that is given in anger and fury and frustration that is a brilliant preaching as a uh, freestyle rap, and the reason why it works is because the movie earned it. And uh, so, yeah, it's brilliant for that reason only. Um, Happy as Lazaro comes in at number nine. Number eight is The Black Klansman, uh, directed by the great Spike Lee. Number seven is Shirkers, and then number uh, six is Annihilation. I liked all those movies. Very, I like those very rundowns. Much. Those are some fun, juicy picks. These have been, yeah, wow. I, I like that we... I'm always worried going into this that we're going to have a ton of overlap in our yeah. top ten, but I'm glad that we've... Uh... Well, we all have unique tastes, and we all try to see different things. And I and I think we'll probably hear the names of these movies again. Um, I assume that. I know a couple will pop back up, yes. Some of them definitely will. Absolutely. But that's where we're coming at in all of that. That is the first of the five. Hey, and you know what? The dear listener might want to suggest to us their own top ten lists, and might even want to suggest their own superlatives uh, via magical means of social media. So Dalton, tell them the words about how to do that. I will. You can be be like uh, Zach Smith uh, and tell us uh, about your favorite film, his favorite films of 2018. Won't you be my neighbor and Mandy? Uh, one of those films I know will be Noice. coming back up later. Uh, uh, you can also be like Keith and Smith, who, as we've mentioned, his favorite film, Paddington 2, hands down with a bullet. Uh, also uh, a big uh, proponent of Shirkers, uh, probably a big reason Dustin saw it. Um, big proponent of Shoplifters and Mining the Gap, too. Uh, Keith was really b- banging the drum for documentaries this year. 
Um, so if you want to be like those listeners and uh, have us talk about your picks on the show, you can go over to uh, Twitter and find us at good underscore trash. If you're not already on Twitter, don't do it. Just stay away. You don't need any part of what's going on over there. It's scary and bad. Uh, we've all uh, covered ourselves in mud and uh, gotten sweet bandanas. Uh, but if you uh, are still interested in talking to us about your favorite films from 2018 and are thinking, well, social media is a terrifying place to be, you can just send us an email, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also all on Letterboxd. I mean, that's how we, we keep track of these lists. It makes our lives easier. Uh, Letterboxd. Uh, yet another time, we have given them free advertising. Letterboxd.com. It's good. <laughs> it's good so you can find us on letterbox if you want to look at our lists all written out um or uh, you can find us on there if you want to talk to us about your picks and whatnot um and then again good trash at gmail.com uh, if you want to support the show financially you don't have to do that but it'd be super cool if you did you can go over to patreon.com forward slash gtm and get more info there um we're going to be doing lengthier discussions of our 10 through 6 picks uh also maybe dipping in to our 11 through 15s uh, over at Patreon. Uh, so if you give us some money, you can hear us get really granular about our favorite films from 2018 and really have a, uh, a loose, freewheeling conversation about it over there. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's where you give us money and you get more stuff. It's fun. Uh, last, certainly not least, check that, that spot on the uh, bingo card. Rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes. You know the deal. All right, we're done. We're done. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Our first best award of the year 2018 is our best story concept. Which story concept is just the best idea? Whether or not execution follows through, that does not matter. But it is the best idea of itself. Arthur, what do you say? Best concept 2018, go. I am going to go with Drew Pierce's Hotel Artemis. Yeah. Uh, which is set in this kind of war-torn future. And it has a great premise that Jodie Foster runs this hotel of... Uh, slash hospital, underground hospital for criminals. Uh, and there's some uh, world building that goes on to kind of flesh this out. I don't think the execution is always there. Is, you know, that's one of the kind of caveats Dustin mentioned. And, and um, I, I think it's just a great high concept. I think it uh, would lend itself well to long-form television, like a nice anthology, like uh, Room 40... Room 104, yeah. Room 104 on yeah. HBO. Um and it's just got a fun cast of characters: Jodie Foster, Dave Bautista, uh, among a few others. Sterling, uh, Sterling Brown, Brown um, Sophia Boutella. Oh, she's so good. Uh, too. Jeff Goldblum, of course. Yeah, uh, the Goldblum's Grandmaster himself, Brian Tyree Henry, who had a great year, um, shows up. Uh, Jenny Slate, Zachary Quinto. So I mean, it is just stacked. Charlie Day. Um, Charlie Day is so good in this movie. And if you just want like a nice Saturday afternoon action film, highly check out uh, uh, Hotel Artemis. I, I think the story is really worth it because it is very interesting. Uh, and it goes some uh, interesting places with it. And I'd, I'd really like to have seen it flushed out a, a little more. But uh, yeah, that's that's my story concept. Yeah, it got kind of sold as a John Wick knockoff, but it's really more of an Agatha Christie thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Big fan, though. I, I like that pick, Arthur. Excellent, excellent. So what do you say, Dalton? What is the winner for the best story concept of 2018? Well, uh, the first one that I'm going to mention is uh, much like Arthur's Hotel Artemis pick. A, the first uh, one you're going to mention. All right, fine. I'll just do this one. What are you doing? Man. All right, well, I get we don't have time for you to do five, five nominees do per. This guy. Look, I just want to mention how much I like Black Klansman because it didn't make my top ten. It's a great concept for a story, especially when it's based in truth and when it's being released in the year 2018. But... We really want to talk about high concept shit. We can. Uh, also, a near future story, Upgrade, uh, Lee Whannell's yeah. film. Yeah, uh, my number twenty. Uh, I'm nice. a big fan of this film. And I like Lee Whannell a lot. It, it just asks the question: What if RoboCop and Venom were the same movie? 
Yes. Uh, it was so funny that Bobo Tom Hardy was also in a uh, Venom-esque movie this year. Um, but I, I like Upgrade a ton. I, I think it's great. I like the idea of a protagonist being along for the ride of an action movie, but not being in physical control when it's time to do action stuff. Uh, it's just, it's a ton of fun. If you saw the trailers, that is just the tip of the iceberg and the fun, inventive camera work that movie has to offer. And also just some of the, if we had a Hall of Violence uh, award like we do for the Shelvies over here, the year in review, man, upgrade. Some of the kills of the year. Yeah, there's some great fight choreography, some fantastic imaginative sequence take place in that film. So, mm. yeah, good good, good pick. Thank you. Dustin, what is your favorite story concept from 2018? My favorite story concept of uh, 2018 is released in 2018, although the film was made technically in 2017, but the big release happens the 6th of April, um, and that is The Endless. I'm so glad you caught up with The Endless, Dustin. Oh, man, I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's just a great little movie. It's like H.P. Lovecraft meets uh, the, the podcast Tannis, the sort of weird place in which all the the sort of weird, warbly, time-warpy stuff goes on, other worlds, else worlds that are going on, all tied around the sort of story about a weird UFO cult, right? Very much in sort of the Heaven's Gate, Hale Bop, Comet-following, Marshall Applewhite crazy pants uh, that we experienced in the early part of the 90s, how they were escaping from a suicide pact, this yeah, this, yeah, this pair of actors um, called Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Um, who are also the writers and directors of this film, and uh, Spring from a few years back, which uh, Arthur and I both really like, and uh, it's it's just and it's very funny. It's very much a comedy as much as it is this sort of sci-fi action piece, yeah. uh, or, th- or thriller. It, I mean, it dips in and out of horror and comedy really effectively. The just, the scene with the guy with the dirt bike is rad, wild, just just a really really rad movie. But I just love it as a concept that there's this place in the world where there are the moon is almost three times tripled, and also there are time loops you can get caught in. And if you're in the loop as it closes, then you're stuck in the loop in forever. And also maybe you can play tug of war with Cthulhu, um, which is always a fun time. Although I think Cthulhu tends to win generally more speaking if um, Cthulhu is more accurately per- portrayed, you know, for a fictional character. Right. Fictional, sure. Nerd pants. Fictional. But um, I love me the Quote endless. unquote. And mm-hmm. I think it's definitely worth your time. Available currently on Netflix. Moving on to our next superlative, and I have to pull it up to see what it is. Uh, well, I'll uh, vamp a little bit while Dustin's getting that going. Uh, we're just going to be rattling off some of the favorite films from the Good Trash family uh, over the course of this episode. Uh, coming in uh, hot are, are with uh, a film that I, I know Arthur liked. Uh, we've got Assassination Nation from uh, our very own Frightful Femme, Kirsten Thurkelson. Huge fan of that film, and uh, it was her number one film of 2018. Excellent, excellent. So our next superlative category is our best performance of 28 actor or actress. And so uh, you are able to make your selection according to that. I go to you first, Arthur. Who performed the best in a movie in 2018? Hands down for me, it's Tony Collette from Hereditary. Good pick. Um, that performance is... It's correct. It's mine, too. Yeah, it is It is raw. It is visceral. Uh, there is a moment where something uh, just mind-blowing happens uh, within the narrative of that film early on that I don't think anybody expected. Nope. Uh, and, and when she finds out what happens, she just lets out this howling whale cry. And it is one of the most upsetting, troubling, uh, heart-wrenching uh, moments in, in a film, I think, of, of any film last year. It's a big moment that could feel fake and doesn't for a yeah. second. And her just kind of slow progression through that film, you know, as the emotions build and there's a boiling point and things start to turn over. There's a dinner sequence that's really well acted. Um, but mm. just the way she plays it from the beginning 
through the end uh, where some supernatural stuff starts to happen with her. Uh, it, it is just a, a, a great all-in performance uh, from Tony Collette. I'm not one to mince words about snubs and all that stuff, but I don't know. It's horror, and it has that thing going against it, honestly. Um, but it's it is arguably the best uh, one of the best performances of the year. I would I would actually disagree with you, Arthur. I think it's inarguably the best. Uh oh, performance. Uh-oh. Wow, it there is it is. That good. Uh, I, I, I Dustin's bolder than I am. Yes. Yeah. It's inarguably the best performance, okay. and because it's a genre movie, they just hate on it. And yep, whatever. Forget those people. So, Dalton, you're last. Um, what's up with you for best performance? Well, I, yeah, I guess I'll help fill this out since you both love Tony Collette so much. Uh, I got to give some love to Cynthia Revo for her two roles. Uh, first off, in uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, already mentioned, and in Widows. Uh, it's so awesome to see a, a new actor just like bust out of the gate. Somebody that's been working for a while that you're not really aware of and just turn into show stopping star turning performances, uh, that in films that get released like two, three months apart from each other. Um, Cindy Revo has these, these sequences in Bad Times of the El Royale where she is singing a cappella that are just complete showstoppers and uh, she just has this amazing back and forth with uh, Jeff Bridges character throughout that film uh, and just carries so much of the emotional weight of that film uh, so successfully and then in Widows uh, doesn't get nearly as much to do but is so effective on screen when she is in that film uh, so a lot of love there and also gotta give some love to uh, Regina Hall and support the girls mm. uh, a film that did not end up making my top 25 I don't think uh, but just a film that I absolutely love, and a big part of why I loved it was uh, her performance, uh, which was just spectacular. Uh, so those are my favorite performances of 2018. Excellent, excellent. So our next selection is The Hidden Gem, and um, I'm going to describe my thought process for The Hidden Gem selection. It is a movie underseen. Yes, yeah, for that's sure. where I'm going with and, it. Yeah, but it's super good and would yeah. should be in the conversation and really yeah. just it lacked the appropriate for your consideration sort of campaigns yeah. behind it. Yes, yeah, that's I, where I'm I, landing. I would also argue that if you wanted to go this way, it could be something that might not have been underseen but might have been underappreciated. Yeah. Okay, so that's I, fair. I would go with that as well. Okay. So Arthur, what is your hidden gem of 2018? Yes, certainly it is going to be. Um, the uh, Brett Haley's uh, Hearts Beat Loud oh, with great film. Nick Offerman, uh, Kiersey Clemens, Black Danner, Tony Collette, Ted Danson. Um, it is just a great, it's a great coming of age film. It's a great uh, film about growing up, both not only from the, the child standpoint, but also from the father's standpoint. Nick Offerman puts in a great performance. Uh, and, and if you love music on any level, just you know, listening to it or you know, constructing and, and comp- uh, composing uh, music, uh, it's the movie for you. It is a great soundtrack, two great performances, non-traditional. Uh, we have just a great family unit here between uh, Offerman's character and, and the daughter played by um, Clemens, Sam Fisher. Uh, and, and She's great. Yeah, she's. it's it's a wonderful. We see kind of a uh, mixed cultural family. Yeah. Um, we have a uh, lesbian, uh, gay relationship there. Uh, so it doesn't do any of the kind of traditional coming-of-age things that you expect from it. Uh, when plot beats get revealed, yeah. uh, you expect parents might react, uh, re- react one way, but Offerman really just rolls with it. He's a really cool character. Um, and so that's that's one I really enjoyed. I think I saw it with you, Dalton. Yeah. That's right. I think we didn't. Did we even realize we were in the same theater for that I one? think we did for that one. We didn't for First Reform. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah uh, Hearts Beat Loud uh, is my hidden gem. I think uh, people, uh, if you haven't seen it, go out and see it. It's on Hulu. It's easy to watch. It's a quick watch. 
Uh, and it's just, it's a feel-good movie. If if you want to feel nice. good, if you want to get away from the, the dumpster fire that is uh, everything else right now, watch Hearts Beat Loud and have that heartwarming uh, moment for the year. And it's a film that doesn't feel for divorced from here and now. Uh, it just, yeah. you know, it reminds you that people are living their lives, yeah. man. Uh, yeah, great pick, Arthur. I love that film. Excellent, excellent. So what is your hidden gem of 2018, Dalton Stewart? Oh, this was a tough one, because I think there are a lot of films that didn't get the love they deserved. Right. Uh, I almost went Sisters Brothers, but look, that movie's got Joaquin Phoenix in it. People are going to see Sisters Brothers eventually. It's extremely good. You should catch up with it. But my pick is going to go to The Long Dumb Road, directed by Hannah Fidel, uh, starring uh, Tony Revolori and Jason Manzukis. Uh, look, as Arthur mentioned with Hearts Beat Loud, this is a coming-of-age story. You kind of know what you're getting yourself into. Neither of these are, are the kind of the... the uh, alt coming-of-age movie that Eighth Grade is, which is also a great film. Uh, but I think uh, Long Dumb Road kind of has a similar thing going for it that Hearts Be Loud does in that it takes all these kind of standard tropes and does something interesting uh, with it. It takes this uh, finding yourself post-high school road trip and partners uh, our lead, uh, Tony Revlori, with a legitimately dangerous person, played by Jason Manzukis, who is so good in this movie. Uh, he, he's doing everything you would expect from a Jason Manzuga's performance. He's being very funny. He's being weird. Uh, but there's a a sadness and a tenderness to this guy who's kind of allowed himself to be a, a little bit of an outcast and a drifter. Uh, it, it's just great. The, the two of them are, are really wonderful together. Uh, and there's also uh, some supporting roles that are fun from Taysa Famiga and uh, Gracie Gummer. Um, Really, really fun stuff there. So big fan of The Long Dumb Road. Dustin, what was the hidden gem pick for you? The hidden gem for me is Alice Rorbacher's Happy as Lazaro. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an Italian film. It is a Best Screenplay winner at Cannes. And so, but that's the thing, is that you win the screenplay prize at Cannes, you don't get noticed. Yeah. And yeah. even though it's distributed on Netflix, it's just another one of those international movies that look like, oh, maybe I ought to watch it at some point like it's in lost my the life. Shuffle. Yeah. And it is so good. Lazaro is uh, this... Uh, is a, is a holy fool. Um, absolutely that sort of character. It is very much in the uh, vein uh, – well, Martin Scorsese for producing it. So The Flowers of St. Francis, which is a, a great uh, you know, 50s uh, Italian film that uh, Scorsese talks about quite a bit. And uh, Lazaro is uh, doing all the work um, that he can for everybody that he can on this plantation in Italy that is uh, – regressively continued peasant practices into the 1970s. And these peasants don't know that they cannot be held to the land to work for debt and against no wages. And then they figure it out, and then magic happens. And it's suddenly 20 years later, and Lazaro has not aged. And he is there in the major city talking with uh, the older versions of the people that he was helping out and working with at the time. And also um, the dear friend, uh, the son of the uh, Marquise that he knew, um, that sort of made a joke at one point that they could be half-brothers because his father was a philanderer. And he takes it quite seriously. And it's insane but it's not like magic in that sort of lose your mind kind of magical realism type realism kind of yeah and it's 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 a brilliant movie in which that you see that is an indictment on capitalism 
and on exploitation and how that's all happening. And it's got a moment in which the church is also implicated. That is probably one of the most powerful moments in cinema I have seen in a long time. I will not describe it any further than that, but there is a visit to the church in which the music's playing, and then they are asked to leave because they're a bunch of you know poor folks. Um, the, the, these people who are former uh, peasants sort of have an existence much like the Romani people. They're, they're almost a band of gypsies living in this small hmm. um, Italian city. And when they are asked to leave, the music cannot play any longer from the organ, but it begins to appear supernaturally and follow them as they leave. Whoa. It is incredible. That sounds great. And that's on Netflix, you said? It's on Netflix. It's totally worth your time. And it is a Best Screenplay winner um, at Cannes, and uh, most deservedly so. In fact, I think the directing credits for Alice Rorcher are worthy as well there. It's it's a great movie, and it was in competition for the Palm d'Or, and... Uh, by my money, we should have won it. But um, nonetheless, uh, that's what I think about that. Well, I guess I'll have to catch up with it because that sounds really good. It is. It does. I, I, I'd kind of heard of it. I didn't know anything about the story, but it's a title I'd been familiar with, and I just didn't get around to it. But Dustin's very good at bringing in foreign films he is. to shame us. He is. I, well, that's not why I do it. I know it's not why it you is. do it. It's how we feel, though. Oh. Uh, I should mention that uh, The Long Dumb Road, which is not a foreign film, uh, is also available on Netflix. Uh, oh, yay. So, yeah, uh, pretty much uh, all of these picks, uh, if we know they're streaming, we'll definitely make sure to, yeah. let, Try to let you know where to find them. At least I think it's on Netflix. So, well, oh, well. Don't steer me wrong. I'm so sorry if I did. Your steering is frequently errant, my friend, I have to tell you, but nonetheless. Uh, next is uh, the category of our biggest disappointment. Biggest disappointment. We have a... Okay, biggest disappointment. That's what we're going to go with. So yeah. going to my left, sir, what is the biggest disappointment of 2018 for you? I think for me, I, I'm going to go with Wrinkle in Time, um, the Ava DuVernay adaptation of the uh, Madeleine Langle, uh novel, the same title. Um, I, I really had a lot of hope for this, and it just it, it never really gained traction as a movie. I, I feel like it kind of suffered throughout just... I'd say a lot of it was just on the script. It just didn't feel well scripted out. Um, I didn't like the some of the directions, and it's not really an adaptation thing. I've only read the book once in college. I don't really remember a lot, you know, as far as plot beats. Um, but as as a movie on its own, it, it just feels kind of. Um, it it honestly feels like a uh, made for Disney TV uh, movie. Like it, it has that feel of a straight from the Disney Channel. Uh, quality about it and, and some of the art direction with some of the the characters that we see and the creatures we see it's just uh kind of bizarre and I, i'd had a lot of high hopes for, uh, for ava's first kind of big blockbuster action thing and, and it, uh, that probably hurt it I, I shouldn't have put such high expectations there um and you know i i hope to see her do get to do more stuff uh that was kind of my big concern when it didn't do well um but you know i i hope she'll get to do some more stuff but for me wrinkled on time just really just just missed the mark that's probably fair. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What was your biggest disappointment of 2018? Look, this isn't... It feels mean to beat up on this movie at this point, but uh, it is Solo, a Star Wars story, directed by Ron Howard, uh, late of Lord and Miller. Uh, man, I wanted to like this movie. I really did. There, there are things I enjoy about it. Uh, I think Alden Einreich is really good in this, and I, I think some blame for... This movie not working out kind of ended up falling on his shoulders, which I don't think is fair. I, I, I think this falls on a design by committee. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's hard to tell what's a Lord Miller thing, what's a Ron Howard thing, what's a Kathleen Kennedy thing. It just – there is the feeling of too many cooks in the kitchen, and while we are uh, big believers in not uh, 
you know, holding up uh, auteur theory as the end-all be-all of discussing film, especially when you're talking about studio film. I would say twice so when you're talking about a studio film. Um, Especially a Star Wars film. Yeah. Look, there's going to be hands in the pot. That's kind of how it works. It's supposed to work that way a little bit. Uh, But, man, the the equilibrium gets off. It just... it makes a film lose its way, uh, and, but there, you know, there's great moments with Phoebe Waller-Bridge as this android. But that's a storyline that goes an unsatisfying place. Ditto for uh, Donald Glover's really fantastic performance as a young Lando Calrissian, uh, and also uh, Amelia Clark is really great, and her storyline doesn't really go anywhere interesting either. So you've got all these actors really turning in fun performances. You've got more than one pretty spectacular action set piece. But it all feels paint by numbers, and it's just no one gets to go to a satisfying place because you can feel the weight of the machine setting up sequels if this is a hit, and you know setting up a, a Han Solo prequel trilogy, uh, fingers crossed. And it blew up in their face, and they lost a shit ton of money. And I don't feel bad for anybody involved because this is what happens when you rush a film. Uh, don't announce your release date five years out before you've even got a screenplay. Just let it let it breathe. Uh, so. Yeah, again, it feels mean to beat up on this, but also, uh, nobody. I'm not gonna feel bad about making fun of Disney when they lose money. Uh, I just, I can't bring myself to do that. I feel bad for Old Nine Reich if I'm gonna feel bad for anybody. Everybody else in that movie is pretty much an established star. Uh, Amelia Clark's on the biggest show in the world. Donald Glover's on is responsible for one of the most critically lauded shows on the on the air. Alden Eyreich uh, comes out of nowhere. Has this great part in a uh, Hail Caesar from the Coen Brothers. And is going to be the next big thing. And now he's the guy that was in the Bad Han Solo movie. I feel really bad for him. Uh, he's a great actor. I hope uh, his career bounces back from this. So that's my biggest disappointment is what Han Solo did to Alden Einreich's career, potentially. You are correct, Dalton Stewart. Uh, the, also, wow. Han Solo is the biggest disappointment. I'm very closely, almost Avengers Affinity War came here, but it, it's it's too well done despite its problems. And its problems for me are thematic and ideological. See that older episode uh, for that. But Han yeah, Solo. See that older episode if you want to see me embarrass myself. I don't think that's the case. That's every uh, episode. Fair. I don't think that's the case. Um, oh, that's nice. But what I. Yeah, Han Solo is. It, it should have been better because. It was made by committee, and it was paint by numbers, and the fact that the movie's so bad, and they had meetings about it, and it came out that bad, and they had mediums, meetings, mediums, meetings ad nauseum, that is what's ridiculous, and that's why it's really, really disappointing. And it worked out for something like uh, Rogue One, which also mm-hmm. had the same committee thing, ended up being really good. Yeah, Rogue One's great. Yeah, I like it a lot. And so you're right, Dustin. That honestly makes it more disappointing. Yeah. So, Arthur, uh, that leaves you. What's your biggest disappointment? Oh, oh, that's right. Come on. A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. with it. Hey, both of those movies are on Netflix if anybody does want to check them out, if they didn't get to see them already. You know what? Look, just because a movie doesn't... Formulate your own opinions, man. Exactly. Just because a film doesn't work for us doesn't mean it's not worth catching up with, especially A Wrinkle in Time. Which Uh, is a great segue probably into our next category. Which is, I didn't get the hype award. It It, is a movie that everybody loves, but you're like, "Mm, man, I'm I'm just, no. Great segue, Arthur. Yeah. I'll do it again. What is the movie that could not live up to the hype for you, Mr. Arthur Gordon? This is the one time of year where uh, I make a controversial statement. Last last year it was Blade Runner 2049. This year it is Bo Burnham's 8th grade. Wow. I just, uh, I, I think it is well-crafted. I think it's very well-made. I like Elsie Fisher quite a bit. Bo Burnham does a great job with the script. I just never connected with it. I mean, I, 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 I think it is important as a film because I think it does speak to 
uh, you know, teenager, adolescence in the moment. And I do appreciate the relationship of Elsie Fisher and her father uh, in that movie. Um, but it, it just never really hit me uh, like I kind of hoped. And I don't know if I put too much, you know, expectation on myself to be like, oh, I'm going to love this movie. I'm gonna, you know, I've heard so many great things about it. And I love coming of age stuff. And then it just, you know, couldn't live up to that fervor that I'd built for it. Um, but yeah, it just, eh, I, I, it's good. It's one of those times you go to a movie expecting to cry a whole bunch and then just never pulls yeah, you in. I get yeah, that. It just, I don't know what it was. It just never felt like it got out of fourth gear for me. Uh, and so that, that's kind of my, my pick is uh, eighth grade. Excellent. On I, prime. I'm, I'm very, uh, Arthur, way to, way to stand against the crowd. Good take. Good, good call indeed, sir. Well, what is your movie for which you could not get the hype? Well, it's not eighth grade because I did like that film quite a bit, unfortunately. Arthur's an idiot. Well, no, Arthur's, Arthur's right. Formulate your own opinions, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go with Damien Chazelle's First Man. Uh, and, and this is a film that, to be fair, th- there is a pretty even mix of hype to no hype for mm-hmm. this film. The people who love this movie really love this true. movie. True. That is true. And I just don't see the there there. Yeah. It, it's fine. It's good. It's really well made. I think, honestly, it getting shut out of the the Oscars by something like Green Book or Bohemian Rhapsody is, that's kind of fucked up. Uh, am I mad that Damien Chazelle got boxed on the ears a little bit after uh, La La Land? No, not at all. I like to see people kept humble. <laughs> Being kept humble is going to be good for Damien Chazelle's career. Mark my words. That's fair. Uh, and it's a fine film. I, I think those sequences in the in the test uh, plane that opened the movie are astonishing. This is one Arthur and I saw together at press screening. And every time they were in the cockpit of something, Arthur and I were both like, "This is the craziest thing I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that the drama, the human drama, doesn't work because I think it does. It just it kind of languishes, and yeah. it, it never really. By showing us what a an aloof man Neil Armstrong might have been, it really keeps us from connecting with him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, even some sequences, like, the end of that film, like, really gets me choked up in a pretty powerful way. But I've seen the film twice now, once in IMAX, which is apparently the business uh, for this movie, and just, it never sealed the deal for me. Yeah. Uh, I, and uh, it, it does that thing, uh, and it's really hard to do with an adaptation where you try to span, what, 10 years, 15 years, roughly. Yeah. It's one of those creative choices where I think you have to say, okay, let's let's sum this up in about oh, this happened in this year or whatever. You know, let's kind of it's got so much that. ground to cover. Yeah. yeah, and it starts to feel real repetitive when they you start to see what they're trying to set up in his life, and so I, I agree with Dalton on that one. Yeah, there's just there's just too many times that Neil Armstrong's life and the space program in general kind of got stuck on a treadmill, and it just doesn't make for a compelling story. Uh, I, I don't know if chopping it up and making it nonlinear would have made the film more interesting. I don't know if that's the route to go. It would have made it more interesting. It probably would have, but it's not my movie, and I, you know, that's 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 dangerous waters to tread in when you're doing film sure. criticism. I think so. I wanted to like it more than I did. I wanted to get why people liked it, and I just never did. So, first man. Fair enough, fair enough. The movie, I didn't get the hype. And this movie, the hype train is a very specific audience, but it has definitely gotten some Oscar love and uh, very likely might come away with gold come that day in February. And that is Coriata's Shoplifters. Okay. Uh, the Palm Door winner, which I caught at the Museum of uh, Modern Art here in Oklahoma City. And it's good. It's a good slice of life. It is a good story about people who are living on just the very sort of thread of their existence and uh, some of their encounters and decisions and choices, and that it's complicated, that they make decisions that are at times very, very generous and kind, at times that are quite selfish, and that they go back and forth between that. And it does feel much like a a very... 
a very sort of standard uh, American independent film is what it feels like to me. It's like, okay, it's a slice of life, interesting characters, good performances, nothing unusual is happening narratively, nothing unusual is happening story-wise, nothing really all that surprising is going on. It works the sentimental things. It, it talks about the life of the poor in Japan without romanticizing poverty, which is fine, but there is nothing about this movie that is spectacular. There's nothing about this movie that is just utterly stunning. The performances are good, but they're not they're not groundbreaking. They're not landslide performances. The uh, storytelling in terms of narrative and direction is um, definitely um, what's the word competent, and uh, but it's not inventive in any sort of way. Um, the subject matter itself is interesting. The poor in Japan. I mean that that's a subject that we don't see a whole lot, at least here in the states. Um, the fact it's got a little bit of Ozu working in it in some of the the shot compositions, but not enough to really feel. Like like, okay, this is an Ozu movie um, being remade in the 21st century. It's just like, okay, well, this person seems to know a little bit about cinema and, you know, is a bit of a cinephilia person and wants to make a cheap, you know, inexpensive, character-driven bit of drama with some sentimentality going on in it. And in that sense, it's quite disposable, Ooh. I'd have to say. Ooh, uh, big it, word. It's good, but it's... It's disposable. Yeah, no, not a game changer for you. Absolutely not. And so it's getting a lot of love and very likely may be the one that beats out Roma uh, because of Netflix politics, I think, uh, more than anything for the uh, best foreign language picture um, at the Oscars. And uh, it's not worthy um, in that case. And so I vote no to shoplifters. I don't get the hype. Well, while Dustin is getting us ready for our next category, we'll go ahead and give some more love Uh Heath and Alex from The Praise Down both uh, sent us their picks for the f their favorite films of 2018. Uh, Heath Huffman's pick is First Reformed. Uh, just, he was like, man, there's a lot of good movies this year, and I know this is probably going to be in a, at least one other person's top five, but it's got to be First Reformed. And to which I say, great pick, my dude. Uh, next up from Alex Sanchez, we have Venom. Uh, <laughs> Alex was like, look, man, I I want to say something else. I know this is a good year for movies. Alex saw things other than Venom. Al Alex loves to talk about having <laughs> bad taste and how he only goes to see bad movies. He watched Paddington 2. He watched Sorry to Bother You. He's like, look, I watched good movies from 2018. Venom just hits all those boxes for me in terms of just being so silly and so out there and just, uh, I can't believe this is happening cinema. And uh, you know what? You should always put that kind of pick in your your number one slot if it speaks to you. Don't be afraid uh, of people's top tens that make you feel dumb. Put the stuff that you like in there. Uh, make it your list. It's important. So uh, I love that pick from Alex. I love that pick from Heath. So that's uh, our Praise Down family, what they've got going on in uh, their, their review for 2018. Outstanding. Well, our next category is our best franchise entry of 2018. I there were a lot. There were a lot, but I suspect unanimity. Um, I may be wrong, but I expect this. Maybe I not. expect you to be wrong. You, okay. Well. <laughs> I saw a lot of franchise entries, and I don't think you saw as many. Well, I mean, that may be true, but I, I think we know what the best one is. But we'll see. I'm, I'm going to you first, Arthur. What was your pick for best franchise entry? My pick is Solo, a Star Wars. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, talk about bold and wild and gorgeous. Uh, one of the most... Uh, innovative animated films and, and films that I, I've seen in a long time. Uh, it is a lot of fun. It sets up some great characters, giving us the Miles Morales story rather than the Peter Parker. Uh, but we also get burnt down dad bod uh, Peter Parker, who is just 
is very relatable. Jake Johnson is so good as Burnout Peter Parker. It, it, it's a great, it's a great bit to take this uh, Peter Parker, who we're also familiar with as this kind of teen hero, and he is a washed up, what, four thirty eight, forty year old man, yeah, going through a divorce and just struggling to get by with his you know beer belly. Uh, and it is a lot of fun, and you just kind of look at some of the other things that they subvert from what you understand of the Spider Man lore. Uh, with certain villains and certain characters. And then you get to throw in uh, just some fun performances uh, from Nicolas Cage's Spider-Man Noir and um, Spider-Ham, played by John Mulaney, and it is just a good time I mean, to be every, had. Everyone's great in it, too. I mean, Haley Steinfeld's uh, oh, yeah, Spider-Gwen. Spider and Shemik Moore as Miles is yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, uh, and more Brian Tyree Henry here as well. Hey, he, he talk about it a year. It was his year, dude. Talk about a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and just the family dynamics, you know, that's at play here with the so Miles' good. family, you know, extended and in, in immediate. And... Uh, it just works. It's firing on all cylinders for the whole almost two hour runtime. Uh, it never feels, you know, boring or slow. And then you get some great stingers. Uh, they get to play so with those post credits quite a bit, uh, bringing one of the great internet memes to life. So good. Uh, and so, yeah, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse is my pick for franchise entry. Interesting. Very good, Mr. Arthur. Gordon. Told you you were going to be wrong. What is your pick? Uh, well, for a very long time, it was Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, until I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I'm right there with Arthur. Huh. It is jaw-dropping how good that movie is. Uh, I, I am stunned that it is probably the best Spider-Man movie? I mean, I think it's up it might there. be. It's, it's, it's got a fight with Home, Homecoming and, and Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, too, yeah. but it's, it's that damn good. Uh, so Arthur said every, I agree with literally everything you said, so I'll, I'll vamp and talk about Mission Impossible real quick. Mission Impossible Fallout is just so good. I, I actually watched it at home yesterday to see if it held up at home. It does. It's astonishing to look at, and it's such a fascinating film. I, I got to talk about it with Caleb Masters for uh, Cinematropolis. That, that was fun. Uh, but I watched it with uh, Dr. Fiance yesterday, and we were talking about the thing that really ties that film together is wondering how insane Tom Cruise is. And that the metatextual experience of talking about Mission Impossible Fallout as how much does Tom Cruise think he's Ethan Hunt is going on here is is really spectacular. Uh, because it is a weird vaudeville-level physical performance for our amusement. It's we, Tom Cruise somehow became the closest thing we have to Buster Keaton, and it's shocking to me i don't know how it happened or why it happened but it did and we're just along for the ride uh so yeah uh i cannot more vehemently uh shout at you that you see spider-man into the spider-verse but uh mission possible fallout close second dustin i think i do know what your pick is but why don't you go ahead and let us know it's black panther yeah i had a feeling i mean you didn't see spider-verse or fallout i didn't see spider-verse i did i see i think i might have yeah that's Maybe I did. did you see the helicopter chase? Yeah. Okay, okay. you didn't see the new yeah, one. It's all right. Um, Wrong. Uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm, I'm over Tom Cruise. Well, look, I mean, aren't we all? That's yeah. what's so fascinating. Apparently not. Yeah. yeah well, gush about Black Panther because Black somebody Panther's needs so good to because it's a cultural phenomenon because it's it's so incredible as a movie that is so worthy of recognition that the Academy even considered creating a fake award just so they could give it an award. I mean, or to appease the populace or, or and get piece, ratings. I mean, it's, there's a ratings ploy working there as well. But I I do think it is because they recognize this movie will not win any. Anything other than a technical award, and yet it is worthy of that level of recognition because, as a franchise, just making cash, ten pole kind of movie, it is something else. It is completely 
um, flabbergasting in terms of just what Ryan Coogler was able to put together with this particular film, this sort of interesting conversation about hiding your power and your pride. It's a, it's, it's a question about sort of living your life um, via Martin or via Malcolm as the patron saints of the civil rights movement. It, it, it's got so many layers at work and so many actors who do not get enough work in Hollywood because of racial profiling and other you know, sort of systemic endemic problems that well, maybe are getting better. But more on that anon, it, it it's it's pretty great and it's just a good superhero movie. It's just it's one of the best superhero movies. It's and, very damn good. Yeah. And so I'm a big fan of Black Panther and uh definitely is the best franchise entry for my money. So there you go. Uh moving on to our next award. It is the movie you wish you had seen. So blind spotting the category. Yeah. Uh, what is your, what is your blind spot? What should you have seen, Arthur? Uh, it is Mission Impossible Fallout. I, I never got around to seeing it. I haven't had a chance. I, uh, I, we had a press screening for it, and I wanted to go, but I think we were out of town or about to go out of town. or just getting, I don't remember. Anyway, life happened, and I didn't get to it, and I just never got around to it. Um, but it was one I was super excited for. I, I think the Mission Impossible movies bounced back in a big way with four. Uh, three, I think, was kind of the turning point, but four is really where it re reemerged as a as a leading. It's got that Fast and the Furious thing going for it, where yeah. it's kind of revamped itself and and just came out guns a blazing. Uh, and so you know you put that in there, and then the performance of Henry Cavill, I was really excited to see. Cavill's yeah, uh, good in it, yeah, yeah. And so it was one that was really up on my anticipated list, and then just life got out of control. I still haven't seen it. I I have a Blu-ray copy in my living room, so I plan to see it at some point. Uh, because I've heard nothing but the highest of praise and, and probably one of the best, if the best in the entry in the in the franchise from kind of what I'm it, gathering. It definitely is. Yeah, I, I kept going back and forth and ended up rewatching the entire franchise because I was like, I gotta know. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and and I hope we'll see some of those entries at some point on the main show. Uh, uh, but yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout is one I wish I had seen and still hope to catch up with. Very good, very good. What do you wish you had seen, Dalton? I am, as previously mentioned, very sad that I did not see Assassination Nation, uh, mm. a film that I know Arthur liked a lot, a film that I know Kirsten Thurkelson liked a lot. Uh, the first time I saw a trailer for that movie, I was like, well, this is for me. Uh, I got to see this film. And I just, I never got to it. And uh, it wasn't here for very long. I mean, it was a pretty tight window for it. It was not a big release. I don't know that it did super well. Uh, but I'm I'm fascinated by the way that this film seems to be interrogating um, our dual identities online, the way in which uh, our culture has always uh, attempted to subjugate women and the, the ways in which they have found power within those systems and, and the way that the Internet is recompounding all these problems that we've had for millennia now. Uh, it just seems like a very great story for us to be uh, telling uh, in this time in human history. Uh, it looks fantastic, and I can't wait to catch up with it. And I, I hear nothing but good things about all the performances. It's got a, a great cast. I, I look forward to catching it someday. Assassination Nation. Very good, very good. My blind spot that I really wish I'd gotten to was Thoroughbreds. I really, really wanted to catch that movie. I've heard you guys both talk about it, how good it is. I love Anton Yelp. Nick, and uh, his name is always hard for me to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like the kind of thing. It's a dark comedy sort of take on, uh, you know, uh, class and uh, whatnot. And it, it just sounds like the kind of movie that I would very much uh, enjoy. And it's I, up your alley. And I really wish I'd just gotten to it. But there's just not enough time. There's a lot of movies, and, you know, I'm trying to write a book. So, keeps you busy. 
that it does. Dustin, while you're getting us ready for our next category, we'll talk a little bit about uh, our dear friend Nick Sanford uh, not possessing me with a full written monologue this episode, but he did want to let us know that his favorite film was Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, right up there with uh, Zach Smith, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, a, a film that very narrowly got edged out of my top ten. Uh, and I think it landed around the 14, uh, 13 mark. Great documentary about Fred Rogers, and uh, I know uh, why Nick liked it so much. It's it's a fantastic film. Uh, and I think that is actually going to tie up the end of our Good Trash Family uh, picks. So, Dustin, why don't you take us home to our next category? Our next category is a new category for this year. It is the Good Trash Rovercast Hall of Violence, our favorite action set piece of the year. Yeah, I, I played this one a little bit differently. I, I put gross kills on the table for Hall of Violence when sure. we did it for the Shelvies. For this, I did just try to focus on action choreography. Uh, what about you guys? Was that kind of where you went? Both and. Both and. Just action set pieces. Okay. Okay, I, I'm I'm a little bit more of the unsettling nature of the violence. You wanted some some you, you wanted a, a gross violence award. I kind of did, yeah. Totally fair. Well, well, it fits for me. I get it, man. Arthur, what's your going to be your your pick for this best action set piece? Uh, mine comes from a movie I didn't really love uh, all that much. I thought it was fine, and that is Ready Player One from Steven Spielberg. Um, mm. But that film features a uh, virtual reality sequence set in uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's wild, and it is one of the most interesting and bonkers uh and how are they going to pull this off uh sequences uh, in a pg-13 film um because it's set up that they're going into room 237 and you uh -oh. get the lead up all the way to the lady in the tub and you're like wait how are wait, they going to pull this what off is, what is happening uh and it is just uh, if, if you love the shining I, I i love the shining a lot um and to see this kind of homage to it and just playing with expectations within that world if you're familiar with the, the the way it plays out it's just a great moment and i mean the film's visual effects are are you know second to none it, it looks great and, and that room 237 sequence is just phenomenal and it is so much fun uh, as just a fan of that movie and 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 spielberg's work there i think uh he's uh paying quite a bit of love to it and, and it is just a, a fun fun moment in a film um that I, I I really need to revisit because it's it's good. Yeah, I I was surprised how much I I slept on that movie for a very long time because I did not care, uh, especially when it became a hit. I was like, I want to see this less now. Uh, but yeah, it's it's better than I expected it to be. I I think it's a fun film, Arthur, and that sequence is astonishing. Very good, very good. Well, what is your um? Hall of Violence, your your action set piece award winner. Well, I very easily could have given it to the uh, Buck Wild bathroom fight, Permission Impossible. I decided to go off the beaten path, and I'm going to say this was the year for action comedy uh, that didn't overshadow the comedy, and that's uh, Tag and Game Night both. Uh, two films that both have several stunt-heavy sequences of physical comedy. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the fight in the, that starts uh, Game Night uh, with Kyle Chandler and the kidnappers. is just insane uh it goes on and on and on and uh from uh tag we're gonna bring jake johnson back from into the spider-verse there is a sequence in tag where he is uh running from being tagged through an apartment complex and there's a lot of like gopro stuff where it's mounted on the front of his chest and he's smoking the entire time he's running it's it's astonishing it's, it's great so funny it's great uh some great uh physical comedy in that movie and again both the tag and game night uh just two really uh Big fun films, and uh, it's it's nice to see uh, R-rated comedies that, that aren't terrible. Uh, Tag is not nearly as good as Game Night, but I think they both have a lot 
more going for them than uh, we've been getting out of R rated comedies the last couple of years. So those are that's those are my picks. I went with weird ones. What about you, Dustin? Mine may also be weird. I think the movie would probably go in the category of weird, but I think it's very fun. And it's you were never really here, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. And is that sto- and when he goes up that apartment complex with a hammer. And uh, to uh, bring that girl out, that is a sequence that is shot mostly with these sort of security cameras that are static, and he's in and out of the frame, and it goes back and forth with sort of a more of a, a regular sort of standard cinematic camera. And I just think it is a great way to ratchet up tension and violence and horror all together in this moment. And I I love that scene. I think it's brilliantly done. It is. It's a genius because especially because it goes to subvert those expectations because you yeah. you think you're going to see this just all out. Blood Blood and guts, gore thing, uh, but she does such great care to to let your mind do that uh, for you. I think. Yeah, yeah it's. Oh, I love that movie. It's an. It's a Glad you got to it. Yeah, it's a good movie. I liked it yeah. a lot. Yeah, so, Lynn Ramsey. Figured. Lynn Ramsey's choices with the violence in that movie are stellar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lynn Ramsey is some good stuff. So there you go, dear listener. That's our selections for that award. That is our best action set piece or fight scene or a bit of violence, uh, the old hyper-violence, as you will. Um, our next selection, sort of related to this one, is our guilty pleasure of 2018. The movie... No shame. You be No you, shame. You earn these. You, you own and earn these. Yeah. Be proud. It may, it may not be great, but you like it and you don't care. Uh, what's that, Arthur? What's your guilty pleasure? It got name dropped uh, once by our uh, by our praise down boys, and it is Venom. Oh, you finally caught up with it. Oh, I, I saw that's it. right. Yeah. You told me you, I, I, you got to go it. to a press screening, didn't you? No, it was just I went and saw okay. it. Okay, a list thing, and but you totally went for it. as oh, well. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a good time. It is just bonkers and bizarre, and Tom Hardy is just putting in two great performances. He is also the voice of the symbiote uh, and, and symbi- sim- what she symbiote symbiote. <laughs> Um, what? <laughs> there's, there's some mispronunciations in that film, apparently. Yeah. Well, um, it is a movie that is just doing stuff, but I don't know if it knows what it's doing or if it's intentional or not. Uh, there's a bonkers thing where uh, Tom Hardy thinks he has a fever and takes a bath in a lobster uh, a lobster tank at a restaurant. Oh, I, um, I just knew you were going to say takes a bath in a lobster. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's honestly not that far removed, probably, from <laughs> that happening. More. Oh, man. It, it is just having some fun with this premise and, and all the venom war i think is kind of thrown out the window pretty quick uh and you really have it's about an hour before he even gets the suit on him i think and uh and once he does it is it is a whole other thing going on uh and, and it is a lot of fun it is not particularly good but it is a uh, it is a good time to be had i cannot believe how much money that movie made oh it is it made a lot of money. It made like a billion dollars. Um, you're kidding? No. Me. Oh, it made all the money. Oh uh, China gosh. gave it a lot of money. People um, went. People. They did that a, goopy monster. Uh, I think it was China or Japan. I, I can't remember. There was like this dating campaign, like about Venom as a boyfriend. Yeah, like Sony, a whole, like, like leaned into uh, the romantic comedy aspect. Yeah. With the DVD uh, or the Blu-ray release uh, has a lot of. Uh, more geared towards it being a comedy. That's, uh, that's, it's, 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 it's funny to see how the campaign has shifted on yeah. that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure fanboys were lost their minds, but, you know, whatever. It's it's a good time. Uh, we need to have some fun now and then in the movies. And I think Alien taking over a body and just, you know, if, if you want a true Venom movie, go watch Upgrade, as Dalton mentioned. Yeah. If you just want to have a good time, watch Venom. 
Very good, very good. I like that guilty pleasure a lot. What is your guilty pleasure of 2018, Dalton? My guilty pleasure of 2018 is Avengers Infinity War, because it's, it's good. It's good, and that, I, I will okay. never be able to explain to Dustin why he is wrong, but it's okay. I, I don't need to. I can still enjoy it. I, I think there's a lot to, of fun to be had there. And again, this is like the film moment of 2018. What, that snap was all the internet talked about for a month. Well, not, well, that, not that one. Not that one. Uh, the internet did like that one, too. But uh, what, a, what a way to end a movie. Look, if you can suspend your disbelief knowing things about film production, if you can be an eight-year-old in that audience for one moment who doesn't know anything about film production and, see, and just be a child seeing that moment, Holy shit, what a crazy thing for a movie to do in 2018. A movie that says, hey, not only are the good guys sometimes outmatched, sometimes they lose. And sometimes shitty people win. And there's not anything you can do about it because the people who have the power to protect you drop the ball because they're too busy being petty and stupid to save you. That's a wild way to end a movie. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I admire the uh, the bravado behind it. Whatever ends up happening, wh- however narratively unsatisfying the conclusion probably is going to be, what an insane way to end a movie. Uh, I love it. I think it's a ton of fun, and I think it says a lot uh, about our culture uh, for good and for ill, and I think there's a lot to be talked about with that movie. Uh, not the least of which is the fact that the Hulk and Thanos have a just a full-on slug match in the first ten minutes. It's awesome. It's It's a hoot. And I stand behind it. Very good. Very good. Uh, my bit of popcorn cinema that I love is it's a Chinese movie, um, but that's okay. I've heard about this movie. Dante Lom's Operation Red Sea. Isn't uh, this Red Sea 2? No. Oh, I'm thinking of a wolf. A similar director, yeah. But uh, perhaps a yeah. Chinese film from a couple years ago with Frank Grillo. No, no, but this I've is, heard about this, this is Operation Red Chi- Sea. Yeah, this is this is a Michael Bay movie. Uh, okay, imagine the first Transformers movie, and you've got those uh, handful of uh, army rangers that are together in the helicopter, and then um, they're doing their banter back and forth. And they've got a mission, and they have to accomplish it. And the sort of way the action set pieces are shot of that, minus the Transformers. Right, it is absolutely that big, loud action, patriot, patriotic, nationalistic thing. But in a weird way, it's also sort of tongue in cheek about its own nationalism. Like it knows how hokey it is, huh. and is still doing it. And it is just this big, dumb, loud, excellent action movie in which you've got hostages that have been taken over by terrorists, and you've got to rescue them. And you've got to go through a city, and you've got to blow a lot of stuff up, you've got to defend your friends, you've got uh, setbacks and moving back and forth. There's a moment in it that's almost like uh, Black Hawk Down, and uh, yet it remains this sort of joyful kind of fun that's going on, even though there are some really sort of horrific uh, deaths that occur amongst some of the members of the platoon. But it's just a great, big, fun, dumb action movie that's again so hyper national nationalistic that it knows what it's doing and it's like yeah i'm doing this you know because i, I kind of have to wink and that's funny so it's over the top in a way that is so much fun and it's available on netflix right now so if you were missing out your michael bay entry for this year and i don't think he had one uh this year in terms of directing nope. operation red sea is your chinese analog and uh it's better than any michael bay movie i've ever seen uh, yeah Probably so, in terms of just big, dumb fun. 
Yeah. It sounds delightful. So, yeah, Operation Red Sea. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are superlatives, our awards, the trashies of 2018. It's time to do what we came here to do. That's the top five movies of 2018. Number five coming down the pike. Arthur Gordon, what is number five? My uh, number five entry is Alex Garland's Annihilation. Mm. Uh, this, number six for me. Very good movie. This was a movie I uh, uh, I didn't think would end up on this list, but it is a movie I saw in the theatrical release, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Uh, after that initial watch, kind of resonating there in the theater, it felt very derivative, and it felt a little bit pretentious on Garland's part. Uh, but I just can't get the imagery and the story and the shimmer and this uh, this wonderful band of uh, soldiers and researchers uh, led by Natalie Portman with Tessa Thompson and Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, they just, they bring it Gina Rodriguez um, and Oscar Isaac. It's, it's just a great cast. It's just uh, bizarre and bonkers and trippy. Uh, and it, it works in all the ways it shouldn't work. And, and uh, the, the final sequence uh, is just uh, fascinating. Uh, dual dance and uh, this this uh look at kind of duality of nature and and everything that it does uh, in in the shimmer is just fascinating and, and the visual effects are stunning and it looks great and yeah, it's one of the best creature designs yeah, ever baby. yeah um in in that cabin in the woods yeah that bear haunts no my doubt. dreams yeah uh tessa thompson becoming poison ivy as the film progresses these things not the of tattoos. DC super villainous no poison ivy the plant <laughs> literally poison ivy uh. yes uh just the the just weirdness of it and just uh, it's, it's it's one that it's hard to stop thinking about once you've seen it and so annihilation gets number five it's fantastic i love it a lot for all the reasons that you say arthur very good pick what's your number five pick dalton stewart uh my number five pick is a film that is uh i believe the words arthur used were trippy and bonkers and i forgot another one but it's all of those things as well just in a very different way it is mandy mandy uh what what oh, a mandy. oh mandy you, you came, came and you gave, gave without, without taking singing <laughs> This is the part where we go, Mandy, on Dustin. Uh, what a film. What a, a primal howl of a film. What a ethereal uh, guitar screech of a movie. Uh, it is always wonderful when you get to see a film like nothing you've ever seen before. Uh, because th those times get fewer and fewer the older you get. Correct. Uh, and, and when you see something like Mandy for the first time, you're just not really prepared for it. And then you see it a second time, and are somehow less prepared for it. Uh, I, I adore this movie. Uh, I, look, if you want to hear us talk about it ad nauseum, we did an episode about it a couple uh, months back now. Just go listen to that. It's it's an absolutely astonishing piece of filmmaking. And uh, what am I going to do? Not put uh, Johan Johansson's final score in my top five? Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's Mandy. Excellent, excellent. More on Mandy and Nolan, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I listening. suspect so. Uh, Dustin, my, what's your number five, man? My number five pick is uh, Orson Welles' The Other Side of the Wind. That what? doesn't count as a 2018 release. It does, it does indeed. It does indeed. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, wrapping up production in 1976, 77-ish, Welles dies, 85. Did you watch the, the documentary I did well? watch the accompanying documentary. Okay. Which is okay. Um, I mean, it is what it is. Okay. It's a, it's a life of Orson Welles, and I've read that stuff before. Gotcha. But here's the thing, we, and we, we've had this conversation on air about how Orson Welles has the 
ultimate film career told in reverse. Nails it with his first movie and then successively sort of gets in this sort of weird morass where he's not quite, his voice is there and it's definitely distinct and it's his own thing, but it's not quite as pitch perfect a commercial and critical success. And uh, although I, I would defend Touch of Evil, I think perhaps over Citizen Kane, and I would definitely uh, defend The Trial over Citizen Kane, and I'm very likely to say, and I really enjoyed F is for Fake, which I think we've talked about on the show before. Neither one of you have seen F is for Fake. No, I, have not, I have not seen uh, any with, Orson with Welles films. Oya Kurta, um, which uh, was my introduction. She also appears mostly naked most of the time in um, The Other Side of the Wind. Ah, uh, that's why I didn't get released uh, originally. Oh, you said they were working on it in the 70s. Never yeah, mind. it's the 70s. Um, um, but what I will say is this. It is this amazing instance of experimental, self-reflexive documentary filmmaking in which John Huston is playing basically Orson Welles. Peter Bogdanovich is basically playing Peter Bogdanovich. Um, we've got Pauline Kale in the movie, but with another actress. And they are at the party of John Huston's director character as he is trying to get this movie made that no one really is interested in investing in, just like The Other Side of the Wind. And that as that is all going on they're watching bits of the movie that john houston's character is making wait what it is the most and it, it, it's shot in this crazy erratic french new wave uh jean-luc godard kind of style it is incredible how much this movie is being aped by movies that came after it how much it anticipates movies that is contemporary with Orson Welles was a friggin' genius, and we, I, I, I knew he was great, but I did not know how insanely amazing he was. It's a masterpiece. Or uh, amazingly insane. Uh, yeah, it's a thin line. Whichever it happens to be, Orson Welles, I, I've always liked Welles a lot, but this is, um, he has definitely jumped up in my sort of pantheon of directors wow. because of this movie. The Other Side Incredible. of the Wind, available on Netflix. It is not Citizen Kane. Do not expect this expressionistic kind of thing. Expect this sort of uh, cinema verite, this sort of uh, very much Godard's breathless but in living technicolor most of the time, but sometimes not. Of it, course. And going back and forth between the 16-9 of the presentation of the film within the film, which is a film itself, and also between the four three that you see for the most part of the, the documentary segments of the film edited at a whiplash pace. Um, and John Huston delivers a performance where he is channeling Orson Welles and Ernest Hemingway in equal measure. It is incredible. That sounds fantastic. And uh, the last thing I'll say about this is that it is a film that's fully aware of film studies and film criticism and is playing with those ideas. And so the Paul and Kale character, because they're reading, you know, sexual stuff and they're asking, you know, there's a there's one of the many reporters, they're sort of, is cinema a symbol of the phallus? And, you know, those kinds of questions that are sort of very, very big in 70s psychoanalytic and feminist criticism. He plays with that and then takes it up a notch and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to up your feminist criticism. I'm going to up your psychoanalysis and I'm going to make this a bit homoerotic and I'm doing it on purpose and maybe I always have been and maybe not and I don't care. It is that in your face. It is amazing. Sounds like a bunk wild time. It is crazy and I couldn't recommend on Netflix The Other Side of the Wind directed by Orson Welles. That's right. Orson, 2018, you got on a list for me, buddy. Uh, it's incredible. So moving on, number four, Arthur, what's your selection? Um, it is Sam Levinson's Assassination Nation. Uh, this movie is aggressive. It is transgressive. It is brash. Uh, it is buck wild. Um, it is a look at femininity and 
online culture set against a modern-day Salem witch hunt. Uh, and it is just bonkers. It opens with about a three or four minute trigger warning sequence uh, to show you everything it's going to uh, tackle in the film. Uh, and it uh, is fascinating uh, little thing that it does there. Um, and it's a great cast of, of young actresses, uh, Odessa Young, Suki Waterhouse, Harry Neff, uh, Abra. Um, and, you know, it's it's we've got a person of color and we've got a, a trans uh, woman in, in these you know leading roles. Uh, and it's just a fascinating film to see. Uh, I was glad I was able to catch it in theaters because, like Dalton said, it wasn't here long, uh, and I didn't know anything about it going in. Um, but it is it it starts kind of uh, about where you'd expect, and then it just goes for broke. Uh, I think it misses sometimes. I think it hits a lot, uh, and so I'm I'm very intrigued by it. And leaving the theater is just very fascinating because it is a very much a I think a film of 2018 uh, and the kind of the cultural concerns of the last few years and the fears and worries and anxieties, uh, especially for for a younger generation. And so uh, Assassination Nation gets the, the four spot. Excellent. What is the number four spot for you, Dalton? Uh, my number four pick is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here, uh, which has been mentioned already. This was a year with a lot of sad movies and a lot of hard watches, uh, a lot of films that asked a lot from the viewer and gave a lot if if you were willing to to give yourself over to it and uh i think you were never really here is the prime example of films that are going to ask you for a lot but uh, promise to give you a lot in return and it is a film that asks you to sit with trauma in a very real way that i don't know i have ever seen depicted on film dustin mentioned this really great action choreography earlier uh lynn ramsey strips all catharsis from violence in this film because for the Joe character, played just astonishingly by Joaquin Phoenix, there is no catharsis in violence. It is a thing that he knows how to do uh, because life has given him nothing but trauma. Uh, so he knows how to inflict trauma to end trauma. Uh, and he, he sees no catharsis in this because he knows that there is no catharsis in this. Uh, there's a moment in this film uh, where Joe kills uh, a bad guy and sits with him as he dies. And it is not what you would expect a scene like that to be at all. Uh, every time this film presents you with a scene you have uh, seen some sort of variation on before, it, it finds a way to complicate it, to demystify it, um, to to make you really sit with human pain in a way that I'm honestly probably blowing up a little too much. It's it's not as hard of a watch as, as I'm making it sound, but at the same time, it really engages with some unpleasant emotions. Uh, and it does so in a way that is like really tender and sincere and isn't exploitative at all. Um, it just threads this needle so perfectly. And uh, much as Arthur mentioned uh, with Annihilation, it's a film that I, I can't stop thinking about. I think about it all the time now. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great film, and uh, I'm glad Dustin was able to catch up with it. It is available now on Amazon Prime, and... Uh, a film that I will probably be returning to every couple of years for the rest of my life. It's very, very good. I like it a lot. Um, in a similar kind of vein, um, the sort of, I don't want to watch it a lot because it is painful to watch. But it's I know of, that I want to watch it more than once. I, I want to watch it more than once, and I know that it's super good. And that is Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline, um, also available currently on Amazon Prime. A film that I've heard a lot about this year, and every time I heard something about it, I was like, Dustin's got to catch this movie. Man, it is it is yeah. so good. And it is the better version of Suspiria, it is what I want to call it. Um, I, I like Suspiria a lot, and it's a movie that we'll probably talk about in other places, in other uh, venues. And but it is that performance troupe sort of story that de- that de- that 
conversation with mental illness while that's all going on without being quite so much of a master's thesis in film theory as much as it is a movie itself. There's a there's a way in which it's a bit didactic when I watch Suspiria that that I, I don't love. It's a little proud of itself. It, it, yeah, exactly. Um, this movie is about an improvisational art experimental theater and is done in an improvisational sort of art experimental style of this young girl, Madeline, who is mentally unstable. And it's about her relationship with her mother, how that relationship is exploited at times by the theater director because she finds some raw emotional content that goes on there in which that she's she's almost the 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 way in which the uh the theater director functions uh like a therapist but a therapist who also at the same time is undercutting the authority and aid of her mother and having worked with my family with a young lady who has mental instability issues and occasional therapists that undercut the authority of parents it was very very real in that sense as well and also just uh, just arrestingly realized uh, so uh, one of the best experimental films of the year um, even though it's much more in that sort of narrative vein was definitely Madeline's Madeline Josephine Decker uh, it's an achievement and it's also criminal that she's not up for best director uh, along with Lynn Ramsey uh, this year uh, both efforts are uh, amazing and so uh, I couldn't recommend Madeline's Madeline enough but it's not a movie you're going to watch back to back but it's a movie you'll want to watch more than once because it is just that arresting as a film so there you go that's number four let's move on to number three Arthur Gordon what's the third film I'm going to go with uh, one David Lowry's The Old Man and the Gun. Wow, you liked it that much? I it's love good. The Old Man and the Gun. It's and, good. And a lot like a, a, a Annihilation. It was one that I, I sat with initially, and I was like, oh, I was, you know, I, I was a lot more positive on The Old Man and the Gun than I was Annihilation initially, but in, in the, weeks, the weeks after that, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I, it's just, it's, I don't know that I've seen a film as charming as the old man in the gun. And I'm a sucker for that. David Lowry does a great job of emulating that seventies aesthetic visually. He really does. Uh, I mean, and and I know there's a lot of comparisons to like Malick and, you know, things of that nature. And you can see that there. Um, but I, I just appreciate that aesthetic just visually from a cinematography standpoint, editing, uh, the way the film is shot, the way it's, uh, composed, it just looks gorgeous and it feels like a relic out of time. Uh, which is very appropriate for this uh, meta narrative of Robert Redford at the end of his career, um, playing a guy on the run at the end of his outlaw career. And uh, you know, we talked about Butch and Sundance uh, recently on on the show, and so it was a natural pairing for that. Uh, and just, I think it's very fascinating. And then in the film, we see this guy who can't give up uh, that that drive, that that temptation to steal. And one has to wonder if if the Robert Redford who announced his retirement isn't going to feel that same uh, desire one more time. And so I think just from a meta narrative standpoint, it is fascinating to watch. Led with two performances by I mean Casey Affleck is great. Uh, Robert Redford is just stunning. He's phenomenal here, and he plays so well with Sissy Spacek. They are so good they together. Are great in this movie. together. They are great together. Uh, the it couple of, of 2018 for me, they are just so fun together when they are bantering in that cafe, uh, when he picks her up on the side of the road when her truck's broken down, uh, when they go to the jewelry store uh, and he tries to steal her the, the bracelet, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, mm, no, I can't. let's not do that. Uh, and it's it's fun because, you know, uh, he, he 
there's, there's a moment early on where he's wondering if he should reveal his nature to her. Mm-hmm. And so it, it plays with that quite a bit through the film. And I think uh, that leads to some fun interactions. And then just the the way they uh, they play the character between the, the chase between him and Affleck's uh, FBI agent or cop or detective. I can't remember. Uh, I think he's just detective. I believe. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, they have a, a couple of moments together that are really great. And I just think uh, it's across the board, high marks for me on, on Old Man and the Gun. It's a good film. It is absolutely a very good film. I, I like that pick a lot, Arthur. What is your third best film of 2018, Dalton? It is Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. As I said with Mandy, sometimes you walk into a theater as an adult and see a movie nothing like anything you've ever seen. And, uh, man, 2018 had a lot of those in store. Uh, it was a great year for cinema. And... Man, Sorry to Bother You is some somehow simultaneously the funniest, saddest, scariest movie of, of the year. Uh, and that's saying something, because there were a lot of great scary movies, and there were a lot of great funny movies this year. But somehow Boots Riley managed to make a movie about working in the yoke of capitalism and under the yoke of it, and turn it into a surrealist horror comedy. And uh, when you think about how insane it is that we have a, an economy set up the way we do, uh, the, the surrealism makes a lot more sense uh, when you really sit with that movie uh, because we live in a, a world that asks a lot of us uh, in very dumb ways and uh, it asks us to completely deny ourselves and uh, that's what this film does of uh, Lakeith Stanfield's Cassius Green um, very nearly one of my performances of the year too I, I, Lakeith Stanfield is so good in this movie and uh, takes the character of Cassius Green to some like really interesting places and just with like a little shift to his eyes, like Keith Stanfield communicates like so much joy and so much or so much anxiety, just like everything he does in that film is so good. Uh, and it's a film that is uh, aggressive in a way that you are not expecting it to be when you walk into it and multiple times challenges its uh, audience uh, and says, why are you here? Why are you at this movie? Uh, what do you what did you come to this film to get out of it? Uh, and actively challenges the audience a lot. And uh, what a movie. Uh Man, I have not squirmed in a theater that hard, uh, probably ever. Uh, but boy, howdy, there is a scene at Steve Lift's house uh, when uh, the 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 party happens right before we learn uh, some vital information of the plot. I think everyone knows the scene that I'm talking about. And Boots Riley just uh, just just makes the audience really question itself in a way that I think is great. I think he says, "Hey, uh, white people who came to see this movie, why'd you come see my movie?" Uh, and and to do that at the, like the halfway two thirds mark of your film uh, and just power bomb the audience is great and it, it reminds you that film is supposed to be visceral that way it's supposed to engage you constantly it's not supposed to make you switch your brain off and just enjoy the ride you were supposed to wrestle with the film it's supposed to take you places that make you uncomfortable that make you question why you even bother going to the movies. I love Sorry to Bother You, and I will continue uh, to see it many more times for throughout my life. That is my number three pick. Available on Hulu. It is. Very good, very good. I like that. Um, my number third pick is, um, like I think all of us could probably say about our top three picks, um, vacillating from day to day as to which is the best. Um, you know, because, Totally fair. Uh, but number three yes. for me is Mandy. Uh, I, I love Mandy a lot. And yeah, it is the most metal movie of 2018 for me, for sure. Bar none, yeah. And it is this great, incredible tone 
poem. I mean, I love Nick Cage's performance, but really it's about the aesthetics. This movie is very much a fantasy story, a science fiction fantasy story, a woodcutter in the forest trying to find his kidnapped love uh, or, the, or avenge the death of his kidnapped love. The, the, the narrative in a fairy tale would be more kidnapped, but she's been murdered and he's just seeking revenge on those that have done this. It is about the creepy 70s and the sort of the death of the 60s. It is about a, a, a number of things, again, very thinly layered within in terms of thematics, but all within this amazing, arresting, visual, heavy metal fantasy style. It is an experience of a movie that I, I don't think you should miss. And so I love Mandy a lot, and that is my number three pick for 2018. Moving on to number two. What's the second best movie of the year, Arthur? Well, it is Carlos Estrada Lopez's Blind Spotting. Super good. So good. Davi Diggs, uh, Rafael Casal. Uh, Man, uh, in, a, in a year of, of just great movies by uh, people of color, uh, Spike Lee and uh, Boots Riley have already been mentioned. Uh, for me, I, I feel like uh, Blind Spotting is the most effective. Um, and I think it's because the scope is a lot smaller. It makes it a lot more personal. And I think it's a lot more relational, uh, especially, um, you know, if you've grown up kind of in that setting. You know, I, did, I didn't really deal with the KKK, but, you know, I, I had friends who weren't white. And, and so I think that that relationship aspect of it is a lot more uh, hits home. And so that plus just the stylistic approach uh the the editing stuff the flourishes there work for me the the freestyling stuff works for me that monologue at the end of the film sends this movie uh over the fence and knocks it out of the park um the moment for me where when i knew that this movie could not be forgotten about was a little bit earlier the uh what i like to call the drunk history sequence of the yeah. film uh, huge fan. Yeah, Arthur, yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, uh, there is a drunk history sequel. Yeah, that's great. It just, it's just they they sell a boat on the side of a road. Um, what did he just say to you? I have no <laughs> idea. But he gave me three hundred dollars. <laughs> um, it's just it's funny and it's it's heartwarming, but at times it is heart wrenching and tragic, and, and it is just I think a brilliant navigation of tone while delivering a very prescient and important story. Um, I, I wish it's one that everybody had seen uh, because I think it is one of the best movies of the year. Uh, and so I have nothing but praise for Blind Spotting. Blind Spotting is great. That's a good pick, Arthur. What's your number second pick for the second best movie of 2018? Uh, my number second is uh, another fantasy science fiction film. It is the already mentioned Annihilation from Alex mm, Garland. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Arthur. I, I can't stop thinking about this movie. I think I saw it twi at least twice, maybe three times in theaters. Uh, and watched it uh, twice at home. I, it's a movie I can't stop thinking about. Uh, I just keep needing to go back to The Shimmer for some reason. And uh, every time I watch this movie, I, I get something else out of it. Um, we, we don't need to go on about it anymore. It's been talked about a lot tonight. But, uh, yeah, I love that movie. And uh, every time I think about it, I, I just uh, find myself lost in thought. Absolutely, absolutely. Good pick for that for number second. The second best movie of 2018 for me was Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you. So fucking it's good. It's so good. And, it, okay, my experience watching this movie was with one of my best friends. Um, his name's Jamal, and he looks like his name is Jamal. And we were the only two people in the theater. That's a fun experience. And we cackled and we laughed. And there were moments in there where we would turn aside and go, oh, Oh, uh, oh, oh, he, oh, I, I uh, was in a, a mostly white crowd seeing that movie and you could feel the air 
rush out of people's lungs as they were like, oh shit, that's me. Yeah. That's me. I'm the, oh fuck. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. movie it comes to play with you. Yeah, it, it is great. It is great. Um, and we had a good time. We laughed a lot. I mean, mostly we laughed the entire time because we both sort of just understood what was going on there. And uh, so, yeah, really, really, really enjoyed that. Um, Jamal's official review is it had 100% more horse penis than he expected. But um, that is... <laughs> 100%. <laughs> and uh, so, but yeah, it's a great time. And we've, so good. we've said so much about it. But Boots Riley is a name to watch in future cinema, I hope. Just got... Uh... Uh, deal made for a new movie. Excellent. Yeah, I'm very happy for that. Uh, what what an in, an insanely good first movie. Yeah. Uh, Thoroughbreds, another great debut. It's just always awesome when somebody's first movie is that. Same with Hereditary. Yeah, this is great a, a year for great breakouts. Absolutely. So let's move on to number one, the best movie of the year. It seems like it's pretty uniform because I, it hasn't I, I, come I, up yet. It hasn't come up so at all. So on three, we'll just go ahead and say the title and then hope for uh, this works out the way I think. One, two, three, it's first, first performed. performed. Yeah, it's, yeah, so it's so Paul good. Schrader's uh, magnum opus. Yeah, it's a phenomenal it's so film. It's magnificent. Um, just... I, I praise Tony Collette, uh, and if I was giving out best actors and best actor, the actor is going to Ethan Hawke because second to Tony. But yes, this is a phenomenal performance uh, with a fantastic, uh, aggressive, um, powerful, moving, uh, tumultuous script uh, from Schrader, uh, who feels like he's doing his own kind of uh end of the cycle type reflection on his own work and his own life and his own uh contributions to cinema while also grappling with these large scale epidemics of of modern society all wrapped into this kind of morality play about a pastor struggling with his faith uh and it works on nearly every level uh, i mean it is just uh the first time i saw it i was like that was the one where dalton and i were in the theater we didn't know it uh, but we kind of both walked out of there we saw each other and like wow that's that was heavy yeah, and then I th I think we've each seen yeah. it yeah a, a couple times since then. I know I've seen it uh, a couple times since then, and uh, each time I see it, uh, there's more to glean from it. I think the more uh, you engage with it, uh, the quicker it actually moves, uh, which is interesting, and, and you're able to glean a lot more from it and engage with it on a lot more personal level. Um, but oh man, I I have nothing but praise uh, the the aspect ratio, the Academy. Uh, ratio, the way it's shot, uh, you know, all of those kind of uh, elements of the mise-en-scene that reinforce uh, Schrader's uh, themes and then the complexities of the narrative and um, uh, gorgeous cinematography uh, throughout that film and, and just the, the framing and then the composition, all of that is just, it's, it's, it is the best movie of 2018. And, and you know, I, I saw a comment from somebody uh, the other day uh, saying it might make their list of the decade and I, I can't disagree. I think this is a uh, going to be an all timer. Yeah, yeah, Arthur. It's it's funny you said that because I feel similarly. The more I watch that movie, uh, the the quicker it flies by. I mean, it just the the first time I was like, is this movie ever going to end? Like it felt long and not in a bad way the first time. Yeah, and every time since then uh, that I've watched it, just flies by. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, this being a big year for breakouts, a big year for voices that have been neglected. And look, it's funny that the three of us picked the old white guy movie. Yeah, but. Something Schrader does in this film finds a way to articulate and express uh, my existential dread about the state of the world uh, the, the way nobody has ever done before. Uh, and it's important to remember that just because uh, we spent the last several decades of Hollywood and filmmaking history 
denying everybody but white men a voice. It doesn't mean that the, these uh, old timers who came up in a real shitty time uh, don't still have something to say, which I think is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be easy for Paul Schrader to make a I'm an angry old man movie, and it is a very sensitive film that I think only an old person, an older person who has spent most of their youth being angry could make. And it's nice to see somebody say, hey, I already made my angry young guy movie. This is my contemplative guy who wishes he hadn't been so angry movie. And uh, I, I think for that alone, it, it just really speaks to me in that level. It's It's engaging with things that are very personal to me in terms of the feelings and the emotion and the way it chooses to tackle certain issues. Uh, it's just takes that big scale existential crisis that Arthur's talking about and mentioned and brings it down home, uh, the way the blind spotting does, honestly, you know, I mean, blind spotting is not the only film about race and gentrification, but it, it centers these ideas and these themes around a friendship the same way that, uh, first reform centers these feelings of, is there going to be a planet in 50 years? 40 years, 30 years, are we going to make it? Will we be forgiven by the universe for the things that we've done to our home? Uh, And it makes that the story of just one person trying to come up with a reason to not commit suicide every day. Mm. It's a wild Mm -hmm. film, and it is extremely powerful. Uh, I'll just say in conclusion, it's true. The movie, that's why it's so good, is because it's so true. And uh, that, I mean, and that's really the, the the most I can really say about that. I I, will, I think you could probably say that about most of the films we've really heaped praise on. They yeah. are true. They're true. Yeah. And uh, that and the the truth for this particular film and why it made the top of my list is because it's very personally in that sense true. Uh, let me say something to um, the dear listener because I know a little bit about our demographics and and who we are and what we're about. Is that First Reform is a great movie to watch if you find yourself to be a social justice warrior. If you find yourself to be one of those persons who care desperately about what's happening with our environment, what's happening with our economy, and that you look to leaders in faith and you uh, were raised or grew up around those sort of situations and found yourself let down by them. And absolutely, this movie indicts them as it should, but it also points out there are those who are wrestling with the questions and don't know quite how to do so within their institutions. And I, I in some senses, it feels to me like this movie is a plea for grace um, for I'm aware and I'm trying but I just don't know how and I think that sort of reflects the sort of idea that you were talking about earlier about Paul Schrader being the old white guy in this movie full of breakout performances by women and by uh, or directing uh, efforts from women and uh, people of color that this this person recognizes that there's something broken there and wants to do something about it but doesn't quite know how within the institution how to do that approach Appropriately, And I, I think that opens up greater possibilities for forward progress and conversations in ways that we really haven't – that the conversation has sort of uh, passed by because there, there's a way in which groups can sort of get lumped in. Well, yeah, you know, you're an ally, but, you know, hang out. Um, and, and maybe folks want to do better. They want to do more, but they just don't know how. You tell and, the stories that are yours to tell. Yours right. to tell. And, and I, I think, think it's what traded us so well. And and that frustration, I think, is is, is a very true thing. And uh, maybe by airing some of that particular laundry, we can begin to move forward and do some dishes together. And uh, so that would be a good thing. But nonetheless. What a, what a year. What a year. It's been a good year. Well, yeah, it's been a good year. Yeah. Worse, worse things have happened. And will continue to happen. But uh, cinema will still be there. 
And that's something. For now. Till it's not. For, for now. So, um, uh, uh, 2019 is the year of the mouse uh, as he completes his uh, world uh, domination plan, um, taking over uh, studio by studio, uh, fandom by fandom. Uh, 2020 Good Trash Genrecast, uh, Good Trash Media will be brought to you by uh, uh, Buena Vista and Walt Disney. Fingers um, crossed. So we're really going to sell out this year. Uh, we're really hoping for the best. We will talk nothing but uh, Avengers and uh, Star Wars. Uh, Pixar and uh, House of Mouse. This is the year it happens. This is the year we go mainstream. Um, looking looking for them that sellout check. Yeah, I'm out. Uh, so that's it. You won't do one more? No, I'm done. Well, no. we should probably keep it uh, punk rock. Okay, let's keep do punk. what we do. If we do some punk rock, I'm out. I'm All right, fine. We won't sell out. All right. I guess it's still the year of the cowboy then. It is that. Oh. Uh, we're gonna keep. Uh, we're gonna keep going west. All right. Oh yeah, we're gonna go to good trash, good trash west, aren't we? So we're not gonna. We're, we're out yeah, of we're, we're done now. with the anti trash westerns. We are firmly in the realm of the good trash. We're actually in a medium ground because this will probably drop before our next episode proper. Oh, oh will it? Yeah. Okay. So. Well, in that case, continue to be in the the middle place, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, you keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. Thank you.